0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh, I'm joined by Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy and, geez, there's a lot to talk oh. about. Jake, firstly though, how soon is too
0: soon to shush the crowd as a player? Uh, well, Brendan Favoli used to do it quite a lot, didn't he? But I don't yeah. reckon he ever did it before he would kicked a handful, so Brody Grundy uh, didn't love it. He didn't yeah. really love it, and a few Melbourne fans that I know probably thought the same thing. As soon as they saw that, they thought, "Gee, don't like our chances now."
1: Fred of the pod, uh, former panelist Neil Seawang, actually messaged me and said he was very nervous once that happened. Yeah. He, so he shushed the crowd after he put his side that seventeen was late points in up. The third quarter, was about it? a minute left in the third yeah. term. Uh, but in a very fun twist of events, he was on the bench when the final siren went. And they cut to Hinkley celebrating the the Port win, famous yeah. Port victory in the rain Friday night. And in the background, you can see a couple of oh, Port fans it.
0: just leaning over the fence and shushing Grundy on the it bench. It was so good. It was very good. We, in in all fairness to Grundy though, when he did kick that goal, look for all money, like Melbourne were going to run away with it. So full credit to Port.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, seven on the trot now, and uh, Ken Hinkley looking pretty tenable, if you ask me, Christian. <laughs> any any thoughts on the power? Where do you rate them in terms of the Premiership contenders? Are they up there?
2: Yeah, they're definitely up there. Um, yeah, I think there's four or five teams uh, in premiership contention, and then one of them. And again, just the um, yeah, their their game style of what they would what wanted to do against Melbourne, they nailed it. The forward half game and in the wet and things. I know they were a bit behind, but. Yeah, they've got their game going quite nicely, and yeah, playing a very identifiable style, which is what you want when you're a good team.
1: Well, there's plenty to get to today, including Dimmer's departure from the Tigers and what that means. We're also going to discuss the Eagles and the issues that they've got going on, North's interchange cap drama, and we're going to look at 2023's most improved players, according to champion data. But before we crack in, Jake, something from the weekend of footy
0: you noticed. Well, it was actually from probably three or four weeks ago I saw this sort of trending on the old socials and I've been following it ever since and it's still true to now. So we had the draw to start the season in round one, obviously between Carlton and Richmond. Since then, because you kind of don't really call that a win either way, so since then, every round opening game has been won by the team that's the bookmaker's underdog. How's that? Nine weeks Mm. in a row since that draw, every... Round opening game won by the underdog. So you'd probably assume that the host broadcasters would be pretty happy with that kind of stat. Well, I so long as the games are a close, close. Yeah, if The going, underdogs winning, I think that's yeah, that's a, should, should throws a bit of a close. spanner in the works. Yeah, um, uh, roaming um,
1: Brian going to the uh, the rooms that
0: of the, the team he probably didn't expect to go down to. How's that though? I yeah. just thought that was, um, yeah, just you wouldn't see that every a lot. I mean, Carlton is the favourite this weekend to beat. Sydney, well, so Swannies—they're on. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> bode well for the Blues. Uh, Christian,
1: something from the weekend that took your fancy?
2: Uh, yeah, well, exactly. Took my fancy. It's probably something I heard rather than noticed. Is Sam Durham's post-match interview after kicking the match winner against Richmond and just the rawness and the—I don't know—just the the I don't know, bluntness of it. He was sort of—I uh, don't know if I can say the word that he used on the on the uh, on the <laughs> interview. It sort of said you know he was s himself as the ball was coming to him and he'd shanked a few. And it was just. Sort of said there was no media training drawn upon very during raw. that interview. Very raw and it was a very identifiable moment in the game. I love hearing players talk about it. and you hear LeBron James do it in basketball, I'm a big basketball fan, he'll talk about individual parts of the game and different parts of play. Hearing a player actually sort of sum up that last that last moment of that game was just awesome to hear. That's Mike the Mike players up during the game? I'm, they they have done
1: that in the past but all you hear is just rah, rah, move back you know all that kind of stuff I don't so. I don't
2: mind the uh, the thing Fox do with the, where they go back and re-watch the grand final I wouldn't mind a, a, a game where people just watch five minutes of footy with two of the players and you, you just go watch the Collingwood Carlton game with you know Sidebottom and Penry from the weekend and go watch some of Darcy Moore's intercept marks and just watch them reaction to it mm. and things like that I, I find that stuff fascinating Speaking of
1: that was something that uh, well it's one of two well I've got a couple of things but that is one of the things that took my fancies when you messaged me uh, on Monday saying that um Champion Data had gone through and and revised Darcy Moore's intercept mark count. So instead of having a world record, I love using that term in footy because it's very American, uh, world record 11, he actually only has 10, which is a record shared with a, a whole host of other names.
2: Yes, well, we revised it or corrected it, whichever way you want to word it. How much hate it? mail were you getting on the, on the uh, socials? Not too much. I think... Um Yeah, I'm not not too sure how much we got this uh, late yesterday afternoon, but I think the coaching news last night might have uh, (laughs) paved over it a little bit. But basically, in a nutshell, what happened was at the end of the first quarter, the ball landed in Darcy Moore. Carlton Player kicked it. Ball landed in Darcy Moore's hands. But what we have as a rule at the end of the quarter is your action exists before the umpire's whistle. So if you kick it before the umpire blows his whistle, we will count the kick. So the mark... It was originally paid because he sort of he grabbed the ball before the whistle had been blown by the umpire, but watching the vision and reviewing it, the umpire never paid the mark. So again, I think I spoke about it on the pod before. Oh. Out of bounds, ball-ups, marks, goals, behind. So the They're first not whistle was the, the... Correct. He only the blew the whistle weapon. to end the quarter, so he never actually blew a whistle to pay the mark. Right. We're bound by the umpire awarding so the a mark with fault. his whistle. So if the umpire blown it's for no, a mark... It's, no, it's, it's probably our fault for giving him 11 on the day, but as I said, we're, it, in the end, it's correct that he got 10, um, it was just that we had one miscounted at the end of that first quarter for for that one day.
1: Uh, so something else I noticed was Xavier O'Halloran, good, young, exciting player for the Giants, was standing on the mark at one point during uh, the Giants match and, look, standing there pretty pretty studiously. And the umpire behind him <laughs> is saying, Brent, Brent, back two metres, Brent. And, of course, poor old Xavier's not named Brent, so he's not thinking he's being talked to. should have known Brent Daniels. He was probably best on ground. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so poor old Xavier O'Halloran has given away 50 metres, probably still wondering what it was for, uh, because the umpire got his name wrong. Now, Christian, you're of the opinion that if
2: you hit two metres back, whoever you are on the mark needs to get back. Oh, it's just a bit too much blame put it, being put on the umpire for that. Yeah, he messed up the name. But a 50 a uh, 50. And I get it, but um, to me, and it, that's the problem the, the problem we've created, is the umpire's coached too much. The umpire's a talking way to get it out, get it out, move yeah. it on, move it on, stay, you know. Just give that one instruction. Come back two meters. That's all he needs to say. So maybe they they're a bit too wordy. But it, at the end of the day, it is the player on the marks' fault, or you know, duty of, duty to get into the right spot. And the umpire was trying to instruct it. Unfortunately, well, it was the wrong name, but not his, not the umpire. Should spot. umpires be calling players by their names? Wouldn't it be easier to say the numbers in that case?
0: Thirty-three, come back. All oh, right, who's in the rug? All right, two and fifteen. Uh, I think you should call, you call them. The, you call them their name. I mean, but how often do we see this? It's not like we get a mix up all, every all the time.
1: No, that's true.
0: That's fair enough. Uh, but anyway, just something that I had a bit of a giggle at. Poor old something
1: Brent slash Xavier. <laughs> uh, look, heaps to talk about we've got a limited amount of time to do it in, so we've got to just got to squeeze everything in. But, Dimmer, Jake, last night the news broke that uh, Damien Hardwick would be stepping down. We've since learned this morning, this is Tuesday morning, that he won't even coach this week. This is effective immediately. No farewell game. Uh, he arrived at the press conference in, in casual dress. A uh, bit emotional. Um, but Very emotional.
0: As, and as you would look, be. Richmond's
1: longest-serving coach, 307 games, uh, hundred what is it, 170 wins, 6 draws, and 131 losses. So a, f- a win percentage of 56.35%, but obviously underlining his tenure as the three premierships in that time, including the one in the hub
0: in 2020. It's mm. uh, it's a fair old resume to leave behind. Well, it is. And just more broadly on Damian Hardwick, if you, you look at obviously the three premierships he won as Richmond coach, uh, was also involved with uh, a Hawthorne Premiership in 2008 as an assistant coach and player, uh, Port at, Essendon as
2: a player as well and two as a player
0: so that's so so six, six involved in six Premierships I mean there's not many not many football people that yeah, sort you, of
2: can claim that, and it's a world sport sort of phenomenon. You talk about winners, people that just seem to go places and win. And Damien Hardwick was one of those players, even as you know, as a player, as I said, two premierships and very valuable in both of those premierships. And even as assistant coach and coach.
0: So, so an amazing legacy lives leaves behind. And I, I am convinced that this isn't this is not the last we will see of him. I believe he will come back and coach. And I, if it is burnout that he's experienced at the Tigers, um, completely understandable. You know, we see it happen, and we've seen it happen quite a lot in the last sort of 5 to 10 years. I probably hope that he doesn't come straight back into coaching next year because it's sort of I think that's a little bit of a bad look if he sort of, you know, once Richmond's sort why, of on why the, do you say that out of interest? Well, I just think Richmond just on the de- clearly on the decline. First time in 7 years trending in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. He's been there through tough times already um, he has but that was early in his early in his uh, tenure where he wasn't he wouldn't leave on his account he wouldn't say well I because then he would never get another job again yep. but now that he's won three premierships I think the, most clubs would be lining up to, to have him coach their team. So yeah. I don't know I just think if he is truly burnt out that's a c- completely reasonable and fair enough reason to to step down. but I just think if we see him coaching West Coast or Gold Coast or any team round one next year, I don't know. I just think that uh, I think you need to take that time to actually get your head right, and then come back and do, and go again. Has had an interesting relationship with the media. Could see him doing a media role for for twelve months, maybe a bit longer,
1: kind of like Nathan Buckley did before he started his yeah. first coaching role. Uh, quite,
0: yeah, and I thought Buckley was really good, and I and I um I th- I think the same with with Damien Hardwick. I, I really like listening to the way he speaks about the game. Um, his analysis. I think he's a very he's a very genuine, honest person. The way he talks, and yeah. um, I don't think there's enough of that in football. So, just just looking, taking a step back and, and thinking about you know the legacy that we talked about
1: before when he came to the club, Richmond was they were a rabble. Well, you, you know, you sort of think about defining moments for Richmond over that time period, and, and I can think of the fans spitting on the players, hanging over the race, the Frawley era, um, the Terry mm. Wallace era, just things that didn't go well. Jordan McMahon, the goal. That got the dusty pick, and that kind of started to move things. But even when Hardwick was in charge, things weren't perfect from the get-go, and there was a real risk of him being sacked after 2016. It
0: was, it was, it looked like a certainty
1: that it was going to happen. Lost by 100, and I think it was 16 points to to Sydney in the last game. Yeah. That was the famous uh, was it Mario from Doncaster talkback call where he talked about how he would vomited <laughs> on himself, and and if you haven't heard that, please go to YouTube. Just Mario from Doncaster. It's very good. And then good, check out the Carlton one from this week. That was also very good. Um, but. He turned things around, he and did. I think look—it's yeah. obviously not just on him. He had a great sort of panel with him. Yeah, you know, Peggy O'Neill was there, Brennan Gale's yep. been there, and, and and he's had great support. But for him to galvanize the squad that he had, the leadership in in, in players like Trent Cochin um, in Revolt, and you know to to forge the Richmond men mentality as well. Uh, and we saw a lot of this during the, the Hub and, and, and the Amazon documentary mm. just his ability to be a leader of men sort of really shone through and, and he changed that club
2: oh, and you yeah. talk about the, the team that he had behind him sort of off field you know Peggy and, and Brendan Gale and that They, I'm sure they all sat in a room together and, and did it as a club but they did put the pressure on I think I think it was 9 or 10 years ago where Wes said they're going to win a what was it they 3 were gonna, flags three in 3 flags in the next 10, year, know, like 10, 10 years or something and, yeah, they, and did, they put it yeah. out there and he and he was the man that had to sort of guide the team and was the one that helped them succeed to do that.
0: And, and I think a big part of not so much his legacy, but something that he probably does leave for for coaches at all clubs now is you you need to give coaches time. You can't be super hasty in getting rid of coaches. As we've spoken at Carlton, you know, constantly like got it, and, and even Michael Voss, he's only been there eight, a season and a half, and people already want to get rid of him. Um, you've got to give coaches time. And Damien Hardwick was. This close to being gone. We saw it with Nathan Buckley as well. And you just give coaches a bit more time to
2: work with the playing group. Bomber, Bomber Thompson and Hardwick, I think, had very, very, yep. very, you know, on parity in sort of how their early parts of their careers went.
1: So, kind of speaking about Bomber Thompson, since
0: 2000, where does he sort of rank in terms of coaching? Well, I think most people would probably, since 2000, I think most people would probably have Alistair Clarkson on top. Um, is Damien Hardwick number two?
2: I. I don't know, I'm taking, sort of taking the sort of tactical part about it. If you're looking at supporter bases and their most revered coach since 2000, I think it's Damian Hardwick, to bring three flags to that fan base. And I was listening to a little bit of talk back on the way here today. It is just absolute love for him from mm. Richmond supporters of, you know, you've, you've brought the happiest moments to our family for 30 years and et cetera, et cetera. So I think in terms of a fan base and the love of their coach don't know, you know, we're sort of Victorian base. I, I think Longmire is very much revered in Sydney, but I don't see another one like Damien Hardwick, who is just loved so much by his fan base.
1: So very different circumstances, but uh, that's two coaches now that have stepped down through mm. burnout, whatever you want to call it, sort of mental, physical toll. Uh, you go back a few years, Brad Scott, when he stepped down from north, kind of similar thing. Yep. How tough is it? It must be extremely, like the pressure on being a coach of an AFL football club Uh, And when things aren't going well, it must really be quite extreme. It's constant.
0: Yeah, a massive amount of pressure. Obviously, you know we don't know what that's like. We don't. We don't. We're not in that position. But you would imagine it is extreme pressure, as it should be. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, you're reading stories that people are now spitting on Michael Voss, walking down to the to the to the bench, not wanting to come back down to the bench. Uh, Reading right. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sad and when you go through when you're someone like Damien Hardwick who's been through the, the rough times have the success and then it starts to tail off again and you kind of know what might be in store around the corner it's hard because you, you, you've you felt that pressure before you know mm. what it's like every day having to go in every loss having to explain what went wrong um, and people think oh well you know people would kill to have that job it's a great job you get paid you blah 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 but it's not, it's not all roses and that's the thing that we're finding out
1: so the the old adage especially in footy is the the coaching the dominoes right so that means that one brings two brings three so what does this mean, I think, for the broader AFL community? You look over towards the West, Adam Simpson, uh, he's committed to the rebuild publicly of, of West Coast, but there's a lot of pressure coming from the media, a lot of pressure coming from the fans, a lot of pressure coming from the fact the results, six scoring shots on the weekend. They got, they got pummeled by the bottom team by more than 100 points. Hmm. What does this mean for the coaching merry-go-round? Can you see this being one of many dominoes now?
0: Well, like I said, um, I'm all for Damien Hardwick taking time away from football. I would be disappointed if he was coaching this time next year. Uh, sorry, if he's coaching round one next year because coaching round one next year means that he's been he's he's going to be at the club s- several months before that. Um, and I just think it's a bit of a bad look. if you if you do want to step away from football and you are f- experiencing burnout, um, because we didn't see, we don't see any of this for coaches that are su- having success. We don't see that in the winning years when there's potential to go all the way. Um, so I don't think there should be, but of course there will be, and there will be speculation. I, I, I think he will coach again. I just don't think it should be next year.
1: Fair enough. Uh, speaking of the Eagles, Christian, we asked you to sort of look at just some of the issues that is going on over at this place. And look, we know that they have had injury troubles. We know that their list is aging. We know that they've had to... Um, you know, top up at, at various stages throughout the, the last couple of years in terms of their list profile. And, and they've had weeks where they've had basically 26, 25 players to choose from, from their entire squad. But they are severely in, uh, hampered by injury.
2: Yeah, and it it's can't it can't be understated. So we look at injury costs. So how many games you've lost to your best 22 players? Again, using best 22 by rating points, uh, position played and things like that. So everyone has the best ruckman going into their team, et cetera, et cetera. Up until round 10, so the first 10 rounds of this year, they've lost 321 games to their best 22 players. Um, and three, the next most is 318 was the most uh, for Gold Coast in 2015. But then you've got West Coast 2022 at 258 uh, as the third most. So it's so two years in a row that they've it's been, been in the top a, three, this and this is both at round 10.
1: Yeah. So, so my, my thoughts initially, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is... The Eagles possibly went one year too long trying to continue the the hunt for a premiership. Mm. You looked at the list profile, I think we talked, maybe it might have been last year, and we looked at the... And it's very easy 10 to... 10 of when the you, top 12 you... players were probably 30, 31 and, and, and over. Yep. And injury prone. You look at some of the names that, that are on the injury list week to week, and you know, it's Elliot Yo, it's um, Luke Shuey constantly, it's Nick, Nick Nat Nui, it's... Yeah. it's um, Dom Shea's, Dom Shea's been underdone yeah, Tim sometimes. Kelly's had... It, Gaff been it hasn't years. been the player yeah. he has been. So the senior players... Have been either not on the field or yeah. have been out of form. I mean, you look at the, you look at um, uh, Andrew Gaff's performances before the Andrew Brayshaw incident, for mm. example, where he was, you know, all Australian had to miss the flag year that year. He's just not been the same player since. No, and so this is a club that has. You know, tried to to go one more year, one more year when they thought they could could continue to to press. Um, Josh Kennedy's not there anymore. Darling hasn't been the player he has been, and it's just kind of all. That's been a house of cards, a bit of a Jenga. You've pulled out one too many yeah. of these Jenga blocks, and the whole thing's fallen down.
0: Yeah, and you've you've hit the nail on the head because the fact that the, and you can understand them wanting to kind of go, they won a premiership with this with well the, the majority of this of group, the list, so yes. it's like well let's keep these bones together and go for it again. The problem is, as you say, you you go from 27, 28, 29, 30, and now you're at the point where they are injury-prone players. They don't have the currency that they had a few years ago, and now what do you do? What, what do you do? What do you do with some of these guys? Are you getting anything in return for them? It's the same as Hawthorne after 2015. Yeah. It's
1: the same. I think Richmond's looking down the barrel of something a little bit similar, maybe not as pronounced with their sort of downward spiral. They've been able to get some quality class at a younger age level into their, their
2: listed a little bit earlier. And that's what I've sort of liked about what Richmond and Geelong, and Geelong are doing it sort of this year they're as well. If you Geelong. look at their set <laughs> about setup set up this year as well, you know, again, every year, they sort of always introduce someone into the... They've, they've had their Selwood, Dangerfield, Tom Hawkins has been the you know the main leaders, but they've slowly introduced you know into the midfield. at the moment is Tanner Bruin, Max Holmes. You know Tom Atkins has got in there. Richmond have done it. They've introduced Thompson Dow, Hugo Ralph Smith. And you uh, have to. And, and they're not playing consistent games, but there's always three or four in the team that are playing each week. West Coast, you go back to 2019, 2020, and they were sticking with the same 22 most weeks. They weren't introducing just a couple of midfield, just a couple of you know younger players just to come in and play with those guys. Then they got the injuries and they just had to throw in unused people just to sort of, you know, play straight away. And I think that's that's one thing where I look at Geelong. I think they've constantly done that well. He's just kept introducing players to that team. And
1: you can kind of see how stark that is because even on the weekend, so Conor McDonald was Hawthorne's sub. Mm. He came on whatever point of the game it was. He had 14 disposals. He had more touches than, than 17 Eagles. Mm. It was just a domination. And this is what happens, I think, when you do have yeah, to throw awful. players in. This
0: isn't... This isn't- Melbourne or Collingwood that that stitch them up. This this is this is this is uh, it's an embarrassment. So it's going to be a long slog from here. I, I don't think that we've
1: we've possibly seen the worst. There are still veteran guys in this on this list that will need to retire who are still arguably top 5 top 10 players. So yeah, it's going to be a long slog. Yeah. Does, does, okay, firstly, here's a question for you. Yeah. Does Simpson have the patience? Secondly, does West Coast as a as a club Have the patience thirdly does the media over there ravenous Mm. do they have the patience and do the fans have the patience there's four
0: stakeholders here that i don't think have the patience let me throw another question back at you (coughs) excuse me was that that the question The, what we've seen in the last week with Alistair Clarkson stepping, I know it's I know it's a little bit different. His his reason, but but it is a form of burnout as well, where he is, you know, he, there's so much of his mental energy is focused yeah. on something else. Sure. And then we see Damien Hardwick uh, today. Does that does Adam Sim, does Adam Simpson look at that and think, why not me as well? Like, like, do you think he's more likely now than he was a week ago to kind of follow that same path?
2: I, I think it, yes, I, and again, I don't know what he's thinking. I'm not saying it's got to put the thought into his mind, but yes, it has to make it a little bit easier just to think. Okay, two other coaches have been able to have a press conference and move through it. Maybe I can do mm. this without all the heat being on me. Because yeah, maybe it was two weeks ago. Geez, if I pull a pin, it's going to be written stories about how I've given up yeah. and walked away from the club. Now, surely, whereas if yeah, if it, he does it now, it just becomes a you know a scary trend of the AFL. We say, oh, we've lost another one, rather than oh Adam Simpson is walking away. At but them.
0: but yes, and I also I, I can agree with both. I think it is a scary trend of the AFL. Maybe not scary, but it is. It's the reality if of it, if when was you're to leave when next week. If, when, if we had three coaches yeah, in three weeks, yeah. we're never going to see a coach experience burnout when you're winning premierships. That just that just doesn't happen. You're going to experience the burnout, and you're going to want to leave when your team is in the bottom half of the ladder, as we've seen. Um, but. You know, the, I always find it funny. Coaches get far too much credit when they win, and they get criticised far too much when they're losing. And I mean, it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Adam Simpson now's a bum. Well, he won a premiership for five seasons ago, um, and he's had, as Christian said, he's had a horror run of injuries. Mm. The problem with West Coast is, I think now we're at the point where, even if they got all these all their players back, I just don't think they're as the good as what they, the they're going to have. They're not, not as good as what they were in 2018. They're not that good anymore.
1: Yeah. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about the Eagles later in this podcast, but uh, probably time to move on for now. Last week, we teased this. Christian, we put you to task. This is It's funny how this has just sort of been bumped down the order a little bit. This was going to be our lead <laughs> item uh, on Sunday, basically. I should have saved it for next week. Yeah. But we did task you for looking at the most improved players uh, in 2023, looking at ratings points. Uh, their average um, this year compared to previous years, uh, or, or just 2022?
2: Yeah, I've just used last year for at the moment for round 10. So looking at, yeah, your form... Last year and in, in heading into the first half of this year, and who's sort of improved the most. So, if you're just looking straight at minimum five games in both seasons, so you played at least five games last year and half half of this season, uh, three Giants players actually come up on top. I think two of those were sub affected last year, and their numbers were quite low. So Daniel Lloyd comes up as the you know 57 jump in rating points from last what year to this player. year. Um, Nick Haynes is second, and, and Xavier Aller and uh, one of our favourites, Brents. Brent, yeah, he, he, he comes in third. So. Again, maybe that's a little bit in game style and position changes with a new coach, and just more opportunities for some of those guys. Although Nick Haynes, um, you know, I don't think he's at career best form, but he's just he's gotten back to where he was after after a really down year. year, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so um, he's a big one. But yeah, the fourth name that comes up on the list, I think, is a genuine most improver. I think five or six years into his career, Chase Jones uh, at Adelaide, who sort of uh, made the move from. You know, a, a back pocket who sort of... I, nothing, I always bro. watch him play back pocket. I'm like, he's not a defensive player. He does their kick-ins, but he's not their quarterback yeah. or anything. So he sort of had that positionless play. He's, he's moved up onto the wing and he's been quite valuable for him. 18 disposals per game, which is six more than his previous career average. And uh, sort of, yeah, top five and ten in, in a lot of sort of ball movement stats for Adelaide. So sort of adding a lot there. Next on the list is, um, you know, the guys that we usually get are the recycled players. So Ollie Henry's the top of those ones. Again, just... A lot of sub affected games at Collingwood and came mm. on and probably played a quarter here and there. He's played three or four full games for Geelong now. Uh, Bailey Banfield, Levi Kasbot are sort of up there. But yeah, Jason Horn Francis is another one. Mm. Um, again, we always debate about can you be the most improved player in your second year? Is that just natural progression? But he, early days, his quality stuff like his quality stats are just awesome his, his ability to turn a clearance into a score hit a target when he's kicking inside 50 mm. those sorts of numbers are starting to look scott Pendleburyish like to me retention rate of, i'm pretty sure of, of balls inside best, 50 is he's quite the best, high yeah he's the best in the competition see
0: and that's funny i never you could have given me a 100 guesses i don't reckon i would have picked he Jason doesn't look
2: as smooth but he's just it's not so
0: much the, his the way he moves with the ball it's it's I don't know. I just find, I feel like my eye tells me he he misses more targets yeah, it than
2: he it does. It, it, again, I feel like he does kick it over players' heads a little bit and you do notice it. But as I said, it just overall across the game, usually when he touches the ball, something good is happening and, mm-hmm. and he's been doing it for 10 rounds now. So they're the guys that just, as I said, that was using minimum five games last year, minimum five games this year. If you start to sort of increase the case, looking at guys that were at least average or above average last year in their position. So most of, that's around averaging about nine rating points for most positions. So the biggest players that averaged at least nine rating points last year and had the biggest jump this year, Nick cost is up there with a 35% jump. Joe Danaher, he's up there and he's in career best form the last four mm, weeks. Yep. Uh, can I call him my boy? Zach Butters is third. Well,
1: actually, we were talking about this in the office yesterday. And uh, well, what did you say? You said, Jake, that well <laughs> I said and I think I mentioned this so your big call last season last year yeah was um, well, uh, that Zach Butters would win
0: Brownlow Norm Premiership Norm, and Norm Smith and Norm in, the, in the same year yeah and it was a bit of a running joke and halfway through the year miles we sort of, off the mark Yeah, I tell you what it's a chance this year <laughs> Inj-
2: chance. injuries got him last year so yeah, yeah. give, give him a go and, uh, uh, well so two of
1: those top three you're looking at are also leading the coaches votes by quite a fair bit they're equal yep. on 51 points so that's Dacos and Butters uh, Danaher as you said in uh, career best form but um Given we we were talking about port before, seven straight wins. There's a few port players on this list.
2: Yeah, as I said, as like looking at the Giants players when they first came up, I thought geez, you know, as a team they haven't improved much. It's probably more about, yeah, as I said, positional changes and new coach giving guys new roles. But yeah, looking at the sort of, you know, the, the leading um, most improved players, I said, Yeah, Nick Dacos, Danaher, and Zach Butters are three three of the top four teams right there getting their most improved players. Mm-hmm. Connor Rosie
1: also on that list. Toby Green had a fantastic year. Uh, Jared Barker's man, Errol Gordon also one of the most improved so uh plenty on there um do we expect like I know that we're only looking at this sort of halfway through the season but these are pretty like cons- like these are players that are con- have been pretty consistent so far this season and you just expect that this is going to be the trajectory and the baseline that we see going forward. Um, other names like Connor Nash, we were talking about in the office, Jake, about how how well he's sort of been improving. Dan Houston, again, another port player. Caleb Sarong um, really stepped up this season. So I feel for
2: Cal- Caleb Sarong, I am starting to put into the elite top bracket of a midfielder category. I think Brayshaw was their leader last year, sort of you know dropped off slightly Brayshaw, but I think the more of the impact of Brayshaw, it's not that he's doing less; it's just Sarong is doing so much more.
0: Your man Char- Charlie Ballard also having a very very solid season in defence. Been great. Uh, our All Australian team is coming out in a. Is week. that a hint? Is it? Well, he's certainly in the picture for for. In my team. mind,
2: fullback has been a. It's been a revolving door at fullback this year for All Australian team. You've had Sam Taylor might have started there just because he finished there last year. He had a good start to the year. Then we've had Callum Wilkie. I don't think Darcy Moore started as well in the first three rounds. He's probably in there now. Yep. And then guys like Charlie Ballard up there as well.
1: Well, he's number one in the comfort contested marks at the moment. Uh, Ballard. Oh, sorry, intercept marks. Intercept. That oh, sorry, be, intercept. Yeah, yeah. intercept marks. My yeah. apologies. Uh, good stuff that is that is good um, now we do this every week the one telling stat from every game when we go through every game for the week uh, and um, just pick out one stat that, that really took our fancy and really uh, like played into the result uh, Melbourne and Port Adelaide very very fun game to watch in the okay. rain Zach Butters played one of the great games 41 disposals 2 goals uh, Had the had the drama of the shushing but you know what? The, the most
0: underrated part of the whole Butters game wasn't the forty-one, wasn't the goals, wasn't the clearances, wasn't it? It was the, his kicking efficiency in the wet. He barely, he hit every target in
2: the wet. That was often after bouncing off a bloke too to win it, and yeah. sort of, you know he was uh, he was physical and clean across the night. So he finished with forty-one disposals, eight intercept possessions, eight inside fifties, two goals, and two score assists. So I went to minimum of thirty disposals, seven intercepts, two goals, two score assists. That's happened. Uh, I think 14 times in the last few years, but no one's ever reached 40 disposals with those numbers. So, yeah, sort of the first one to have 40 disposals, seven intercepts, Is the two best goals game to score anyone's, anyone's played this year? Uh, I, again, I have to check the rating points. I don't know if it was as high as a couple of early ones. Again, goals. Um, you know, I think there was a seven or eight goal game no, in yeah. yeah. uh, uh, That goes. might have been slightly higher, but uh, for a midfielder, yeah, it would definitely have been up there.
1: For me, it was the 14 ground ball game. Um, which in the wet is just and that's what I said
2: and stuff. those ground balls yeah. were just some just of the clean. toughest ground just balls clean, I'd seen Yeah,
0: player. and yeah oh, it's funny I, I, I kind of chuckled because it was a, the narrative was how great the game was it was the best game we've seen and it was fantastic but I, I honestly thought Darcy Moore's performance against Carlton might have been better there you go uh, north of Sydney look honestly
1: science like not just the interchange infringement which we might touch on later. But all signs pointed to Sydney losing this game. They've just lost something in the midfield, Christian. Something at the engine at the coal face.
2: Yeah, so I think in the last Gosh six can. in the last six weeks. That was it. that was their, obviously their first win for six weeks. And they've I think they've dropped to seventeenth for uh contest possession. And a lot of rankings that we look at now, if you're seventeenth it's pretty bad because only West Coast is below you. So there's very hard to <laughs> get it. <laughs> it's very hard to get AT for us It's very hard to get A D for a lot of the stats for some of these teams now. But yeah, Sydney sort of really dropped off in their midfield contested possession winning. Uh, and, and North sort of showed that. So clearances and pre-clearances, North were plus 16, so crashing in and sort of getting there first. But again, we talked about usually post-clearance contested possessions, probably more about setup and experience and things like that. Sydney were plus 21 in that, but a lot of that was in their defensive half and in their defensive 50. So mm-hmm. North getting a lot of first use. But yeah, interesting. So across the game, it was North that won the clearances. Uh, they actually won 20 more clearances than uh, the Swans and outscored them nine goals one to four goals three. But unfortunately, one of those four goals, three, was the, uh, oh, the final goal really? of the game. Because Does that, that count as a score from that's, clearance? Yes, because we were at a ball up. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I will have to. Uh, yeah, I think it will because we were out of stoppage. Um, yeah. Actually, now, now that I'm thinking about it, because the play hadn't restarted, they might actually could go down as a turnover uh, because the umpire hadn't thrown it up yet. So it might actually be stay a stay turnover before, up before the one. clearance. So I might no, have got that one wrong. Checks. But again, that, that was where North looked good. We're getting the ball first, winning the clearances. But again... Sydney were just able to sort of finish off in front of goal a little bit better mm. um, and sort of, as I said, just win that general play contested ball a little bit. But a big issue going into Friday night for Sydney is they're coming up against a team that relies on contested possessions and the big thing that's, that's mm. sort of hurting the Swans at the moment is that inability to get there first. Uh,
1: Jake, Harry Sheasel, would you persist with him through the midfield and of half forward instead of half back?
0: I think so. I don't know. I don't know why. Twenty six and two goals. It's very good. Is he the? Is, does he get the rising star right now?
2: Uh, he'd have to be the favourite. Yeah. But I'll I'll go ahead and make a big call. I think in two or three years' time, North have got the best inside and outside midfielder going around. That that debut from Wardlaw and what Harry Sheezel done on know Nick Dacos is also in the conversation. But those two throw L to you old. in when his fit. But yeah, I know exactly. He didn't play it. I've forgotten about him. But just in terms of. Yeah, that the the cleanness of Sheezel on the outside and that the toughness that Wardlaw showed for Game One, uh, I think they're going to be two beauties for the North.
1: Uh, Dogs in Adelaide, the uh, Ballarat game last year was a bit of a thriller. This year, not quite yeah, it does. as.
2: Yeah, uh, the old sco- thirty scoring shots sort of uh, prevailed again. So Bulldogs had the thirty scoring shots. So just going back to the start of twenty twenty one, I think I've looked at so the last two years. It's, uh, it's the last three years, sorry, one hundred eighty four wins and eleven losses. If you get to the thirty scoring shots, so again. Uh, Bulldogs had that avalanche, but the one, again, we just spoke about uh, post-clearance contested possessions. Adelaide, well, you know, Bulldogs won that by 40. Adelaide have been the number one team in that stat. We're about plus 15, plus 20 going into the game. That's what a lot of their game has been built on, that ability to get to the next contest. Bulldogs just absolutely smashed him in that area. So you talk about a team's, you know, a team, what they want to do, and Bulldogs just took that away from Adelaide straight away. Yeah, when Adelaide are winning, that's
1: normally the reverse.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, they're um, what were they? Plus 16 in wins. Uh, they're negative 6 in losses but in their in their 4 losses, they've had 3 3 losses in the post-clearance mm. contested possessions. and they draw even once. So they're really need to win that.
1: identifying things. That's yeah, interesting. It's
0: funny, last week, Rowan Connolly and I debated which South Australian team probably in a better position and it was a bit of a felt like a coin flip a week ago. It's funny how a week changes it though. You know, Port have a huge win against Melbourne on Friday night. Adelaide look as bad as they've looked all year and All of a sudden, now, as you said off the top, Port in the frame for Premiership.
1: Frio, three weeks in a row, they've scored 100 points. Mm. This is very interesting because earlier in the year, we were.
0: Did they do that last year?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, But yeah, so suddenly finding something uh, forward of the ball. John Amos was pretty good, another three goals. Uh, Walter's just sort of back to his vintage best. And and look, Geelong have really struggled, I think, without Dangerfield and Guthrie in that midfield.
2: Yeah, it was a a weird game. I think um, the margin probably flatters. Geelong a little bit, um, and looking at sort of the uncontested, uncontested possession count for me, so plus one hundred and seven for Fremantle. So, I think Geelong sort of took the took the notion that Priya were going to get the ball first and so probably going to move it better. Again, they had one hundred and seven more uncontested possessions, but Geelong won the inside fifty count by plus seven. So, Geelong were going, getting it, bombing it forward, and getting it forward as quickly as possible. Didn't have a player finish with uh, twenty disposals in, in the game. I think that's the first time in uh, twelve or so years that a team hasn't had anyone reach twenty. So, yeah, Geelong were very much sort of, you know, not trying to sort of play around with it too much in the midfield, sort of just really rolling back uh, when Fremantle had the ball, um, sort of try to win it back. But yeah, plus 107 unconcerned possession just showed Frio just controlled the tempo of that game and probably could have won by a bit more. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Katz, you worried? Uh, No, I'm not. I'll get players back. I I think so long, yeah, exactly right. I I was, I kind of raised this last week um, and it was more around Dangerfield than Guthrie, but you can certainly throw Guthrie into, into it as well. Yeah, they, they just don't look like the same team without Danger in there. I mean, he is the guy that... When he's on, the Cats look a totally different team. Uh, and and he was back after last year, obviously through the final series. So, yeah, they'll get players back um, and they'll be better. I think uh, it's just a matter of staying kind of around, around the mark. Um, and, yeah, then making that charge again like we saw last year. Uh, Q Clash.
1: Was almost disappointing. I was, oh, was almost. It was a well. We said this yesterday. A very Gold Coasty loss. They're oh, sort of there for three I quarters. I said it,
2: you could have looked at that game and summed up any of Gold Coast past nine seasons. Pretty good for half the game and in it, and then just faded away.
1: Kick the first goal of the fourth quarter. You think, hello, there might be something on here, and uh, unfortunately, it was just with, a... with
0: that said, and and you know, I watch all Gold Coast games, and I I see the improvement there, despite what people say in the win loss ledger, but. I, Gab I Gab think Brisbane, yeah. well, Brisbane at the Gabba has been tough for the last few years, but I think Brisbane this year looks is, is an even tougher assignment.
2: And they, they just seem to have the wood on Gold Coast. So I said coming into the game that I was expecting it to sort of be close, but I've expected a few other Q clashes to be close, and Brisbane just seemed to sort of embarrass or just just sort of put a stop to any momentum that Gold Coast has got going. So they're on; uh, they've won the last eight Q clashes by at least fifteen points. Uh, Brisbane over Geelong. So the only other uh, eight-game fifteen-plus win streak is Geelong over North Melbourne. So again, Brisbane over Gold Coast at the moment is, is sort of, they got the wood on over their opposition more than anyone else.
1: Mm. Uh, Hawks and Eagles, we kind of talked about just the one-way procession that was. Uh, Hawks were able to move the ball pretty freely and we're just... S- we're skipping Essendon and Richmond? Oh, uh, have we? Yeah, we have too. My apologies. Uh, Dreamtime at the G. We talked about Sam Durham's winner. Um not a not a bad like game winning goal. To mark it in the square, it's not like you've got the pressure on you firstly to be like, you know, 40 felt like out.
0: the Gary Ro- when Gary Rowan took that mark, mark against yeah, uh, against the uh Rowan Bombers. Yes. Um Yeah. It's Couldn't possibly like miss it. No, you get you can let the clock wind down. Yeah. Um,
1: players celebrating in the background. Did you see actually the bombers set up for a for a behind just in case? I didn't notice that, <laughs> no. Um yeah, good game yeah I was uh, was scrappy scrappy. but but sorry close finishes are always interesting and and especially with a big crowd like that um, Bombers were able to reverse a a a decade long hoodoo against uh, the Tigers as well it was uh, was good for footy
2: yeah it was um, and Essendon sort of yeah really impressed on that night but again looking at Richmond um, and from their point of view they had 27 unforced giveaways so we talk about turnovers you you know turn the ball over 60-70 times a game each team and some of those turnovers we call as takeaways, whereas you've kicked it to a contest, the other team has just won the ball back. So it's not actually a, a blatant error by you. But yeah, a giveaway is an error by, by the player disposing the ball. And then we have force giveaways and unforced. So force is when you're under pressure, unforced when you're not under pressure. They're 27 unforced giveaways. So no pressure and they're just kicking it straight to the opposition. 18 different players responsible for at least one unforced giveaway on the night. So the number 27, that's yeah, the equals uh, highest in the last three years in, in, in one game.
1: Well, you just copy and paste what I said before about the Hawks and the Eagles. Just the inability for for West Coast to generate any meaningful chains and actual scores on the end of them, whereas uh, Hawthorne were able to kind of move the ball pretty freely.
2: Yeah, so Hawthorne, 11 of 30 uh, from their defensive 50 chains, ended in the forward 50, and they had eight scores from those. So again, those 11 inside 50s and eight scores. Once they went into end, they were able to score. Uh, For West Coast, obviously, um, only two of their 34... defensive 50 chains went, went into an inside 50 and they didn't score anything from defensive half. I mean, they only scored four goals, two for the game. Um, but yeah, just just could not sort of move the ball from one end to the other at all. Um, you know, we look at repeat entries. So how often you sort of get two entries in a row. Hawthorne had 26 repeat entries. So again, you count your your second entry as one. So if you have two inside 50s and, the, the, you know, one of them's a repeat, yeah. that's one repeat inside 50. So they've had that 26 times. The Eagles only had six, so a 20 differential is one of the biggest... Uh, I think it is the biggest differential we've seen in a game this year. So Hawthorne were just yeah, just getting the ball forward and keeping it forward until they kicked a the goal, basically. Mm. Domination. I uh, haven't mentioned the Blues yet on this
1: podcast. Must be a record yeah, for a, a rarity. <laughs> uh, But um, they were pretty well... Covered by the pies, um, Collingwood just had this this amazing ability to move the ball fast. They are fast. Uh, they get good looks inside fifty, whereas the Blues were just struggling to get to any meaningful position and and convert their chances. And yeah. if there
0: was, and sorry to jump in, but if there was ever a game that really does highlight the fact that some that we we fixate on some numbers and statistics more than others, it's that you know you look at some of the the areas that Carlton either were 50-50 in an inside fifties or clearances they won, and could, I think. Uh, Disposals one, you know, and it's just kind of like you, you watch the game, and it was just a total domination for Collingwood.
2: Oh, I was about to say that about the inside fifty count being even. I, I watching it, I felt that it was even. The ball wasn't living down Collingwood's end. It was just how clean they were able to move it when they and got direct. it, and how much sort of sideways movement and backwards movement Carlton had to have when they got the ball, just because Collingwood. They're wave running. They're wave running offensively, but their wave running defensively is just as good. So good footy to watch. It's amazing. Yeah, but again, Carlton more scoring shots and everyone sort of thinks, oh well, that you know they they could have taken their chances more and things like that. But I was watching it just thinking, Collingwood are getting it to spots where they just could not miss. They were Spot kicking on. goals from the top of the square, taking marks twenty out directly in front. Carlton weren't getting any of those looks. So I had a quick look at it. We use expected accuracy for all the shots you've taken across the game. Mm-hmm. Carlton had the expected accuracy of 39% across that game, so their shots they were taking, comp average is 39%, uh, which was the lowest of any team for the round and the fourth lowest or fourth hardest shots of anyone for the year. Collingwood's 61% expected accuracy, number one for the round, number one for the season. So that they had the most quality looks on goal of anyone's got in a game this year. Mm-hmm. Carlton were the fourth lowest of anyone this year. And that... To me, as a fan watching it on TV, that was the difference. They beat us in that first 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and put the foot down and got the score on the scoreboard. The rest of the game was probably a little bit in Carlton's favour, but we just could not get it within 40, and, and Darcy Moore's 10 intercept marks <laughs> is a big part of that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Giants uh, killed Kilda, So... Funnily enough,
1: I'm pretty sure that's the third highest score that uh, St Kilda have given up this season. So it wasn't all bad for the Giants. In fact, I thought they were re- relatively competitive throughout. Yeah. They match. were in the game. And um, again,
2: that's probably the numbers I looked at. I mean, St Kilda were good and, and got the four points, but I looked at what GWS were doing and they were putting speed on the ball. And, and the question did come to me about four or five, I think it was after the Carlton game how do you beat St Kilda? If Carlton, Bulldogs, and um, I think it was Adelaide earlier in the season, someone else had just chipped the ball and had wait. I think it was Frio. Frio, Bulldogs, and Carlton were just stuck with 400 disposals, couldn't do anything against St. Kield. I said, you've just got to take it. you just got to move the ball fast. You've got to get them when they're out of shape. And that's what it seems the GWS did. So 52% of the time they kick long was the highest percentage of the round and their highest percentage for the year. They had the third most metres gained per kick. Again, they're very high metres gained for handball. And then looking at their transition speed, so for their successful back 50 to inside 50 chains, they had an average of 12.7 seconds for those chains, and I think the comp average is around 20 and a half. Yeah, and right. And again, it was it was number one for the round. It was about three seconds better than anyone else. So they just tried to put speed on the ball, and they almost got St Kilda by doing that.
1: Yeah, not bad. Uh, this giant's one of those teams where they'll just have performances out of the box where it'll all yep. click for them one day. They'll beat a team they're not, probably not supposed to beat, you know, quote-unquote, uh, and, then, and then just do that. So, yeah, I, I enjoy watching them as well. Uh, we're getting into a red time sponsored by Subway on this podcast, which means it's time for Is the Hype Justified or Is It Hyperbole? Jake, Nick Dakos should
0: have been suspended for his gut punch on Blake Akers. Well, he should have been um, if we, you know, go back a couple of years when we saw Tom Hawkins getting suspended for these little tummy taps and yep. uh, jumper punch fracars. Um, but then you can say, well, he shouldn't have been if you look at what the punishment was for Jai Kool. Well, a couple of weeks ago... On Nick Dacos himself. So why are we getting soft on this? So that's the other. Um, point. By we, I mean, why is the AFL getting soft on this? Well, it's a great question, and I don't think it was when they had that crackdown with the, with the I think it was five years ago. It was there was it was the the classic memo was sent out. It was like we are we want <laughs> automatic we week. Yeah, we want to get this out of the game. We want to stamp it out. We don't want to see this at grassroots level. It's grubby. Fair enough. And they they did they acted on it, and they they Hawkins was the made the example that Although, set the precedent. But now it's like we've just gone away from that.
2: I do remember the memo, and I think we spoke about it on the pod. about. I think the memo came out, and a few weeks later, we had a NAB Cup game, and Shane Mumford hit someone in the face and got off. And we were the same. We were like, well, they've sent the memo out, but they always, the AFL or the Tribune always find a way to sort of stick up for, but nah, it wasn't, you just missed him, or it was an open hand, or it was this, or it was that. I don't know what they're, you know, I haven't read doing there. grubby moves. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The AFL's trying to stamp it out, but they don't sort of put their foot but down. But they need they to, and
0: they've got to be way more consistent with it. And the fact that, as I said, if. Uh, the fact that Caldwell got away with it, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Dacos was never going to get suspended. and But I, we don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Yep, fair enough.
1: Uh, Christian might throw this one at you. If West Coast finished last, they should trade the number one pick, as others in the media have said, for, quote-unquote, a bounty of picks.
2: Uh, I'm not across the draft at the moment, but I am sort of laughing to myself that everyone has an opinion on what West Coast should do. Uh, my best opinion would be, do what you want to do. Where's like they should not be listening to people in the media and people saying they should do this. Of course I, they I, I, I just laugh. I just think they they know what they're doing. They haven't got the number one pick. What yet. would
0: you do if, you, if it was your choice?
2: Again, you'd, you'd have to wait. It's too early. The championships. Have, it, it is way too early for mm. they'll be. They're just still scouting talent. They're not worried about what you know. I'm sure there's a little bit of terms of you know currency and what you know what we could turn it into and that. But at the moment, it is way too early to make a call. It
0: seems clear, though, that Harley Reid is going to be going number one. Is there concern that he has sort of said that, I'm not super 100 percent all in on moving to WA. Yeah, he is. So he was on the um, the Gettable
1: podcast, which yeah. is uh, the AFL, one of the AFL's ones uh, with uh, one of our old uh, uni mates, Riley Beveridge. Yeah, he was on that and sort of said that he, you know, he's a family orientated guy from country Victoria. And look, if you're reading body language, it did not look good for West Coast. Let's just put it that way.
2: I'm again. I'm big on. I would still. Again, I'm, easy for me to say. I'm not paid to sort of make these decisions. Back your culture, but also it's currency. If he's going to leave in two years or one year, yeah, it's not great. But we get something for him. If we don't take him and we take someone else and we stuff up that pick, and he's no good in four years' time, we lose that guy for nothing. At least if you get Harley Reid, if you at least you get Jason Horn Francis, you can turn him into something when you do trade. Or him. Lauren so and Chiesel You, you and don't cousins. lose him for nothing. So you grab him if he's there. Uh,
1: and last one, Jake. The AFL should stop teams from making more than
0: 75 rotations and stop the embarrassment. Well, they do stop them in a way by telling them when they've reached their 75. But so should they
1: ban-, ban clubs from making any more changes once
0: it's been ha- once it's happened? Uh I don't think they need to. So why then do they have things like warnings for 666? Well, the warning for 666 has been ridiculous and you know I've been big on this since since day 1. It makes absolutely no sense. Um but that, that's a separate issue that shouldn't be there at all but no I, I don't think they need to don't don't make a 76th interchange you
1: you're as in you as in champion data keeps a very close eye on this because you kind of have to as you're tracking all this sort of stuff who was at fault here
2: uh, to, from the vision so again just a, a bit of uh clarification on what happens down on the bench so there is two counts we count our interchange moves at Champion Data for the clubs um, and for the sports scientists and that of tracking who's on and off we track How, how's that done is there someone just
0: watching the bench yep. at all times yep. yep someone's on the bench from Champion Data
2: uh, no we sort of do we've we've done a few from the bench we're usually up in the in the media okay. box um, doing it from up there so again just watching every single move blood rule injury is you know best case scenario injured out for yeah. game we sort of we tag all that so the media again there's a uh, live viewers that sort of show you who's on the bench and whether they're injured yep. The ICC count is something separate. So the I- AFL have their own iPads and they're actually counting moves and they're not counting the moves that, you know, the blood rules and the things that they shouldn't. We're counting every move. We count, if you make three changes at quarter time, you've you got three new players coming on the bench that you had from the end of the first quarter to the start of the second quarter. That's three moves. That doesn't count in the ICC count. So two very different counts. So we're tracking the same thing. But from the vision, it just seems like it's North Melbourne's fault. The A- even if the AFL were trying to stop you making that 75th move they didn't have a chance to because north were on 73 the afl tell you when you reach 74 but the 74th and 75th move were made at the same time oh sorry the 75th and 76th move were made at the same time so they just didn't have the time to stop them but again i'll look at it and everyone's sort of running we've got to get rid of the rule get rid of the rule Mm. and it's a shocking way to the end of the game 22 other times this year a team has reached 75 and stopped it's a very common occurrence that teams are very closely looking at the well, cap. I think
0: part of it was the fact that the two happened at the same basically at the same time. Yeah, and there was confusion. I mean. so they didn't really someone went that back that on and replaced reporting.
2: someone who'd come off and yeah. that there's there's But again I, again a a really good interchange shield would have been across that even if Liam Shields comes off, you tell him, hey we can't send them. On. You can come off. That's well, we not illegal, but we can't put on. someone yeah. on. You have to. You have to recover from the your cramp and get the back on. Ago, Something and that <laughs> that to me is where yeah a, a really really intelligent individual might have been able to sort of mm. quickly come in and say hang on don't run on we already know the seventy sixth guys come off as long as no one runs on we're okay but there was just no Brett running for me. That's he's at fault. Yeah, the three weeks prior nor you look at previous weeks
1: north 65 67 62 interchanges and then he tries to fly too close to the sun and gets burned
0: I don't know if it's his fault though I mean is he really concerned with the at uh, that point of the game with the with the, the game poise where it was is he really concerned uh, on Liam off Shields? the coach
1: pressures on him as we've been discussing today uh, I
0: think that's all we've got time
1: for today uh make sure you uh, get around the pod we're at footy tips on Twitter if you want to ask us a question give us some feedback any of that sort of stuff Uh, Jake, good to speak with you. Christian, nice to have you in the studio as always. And to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.